This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Weekends with Walshy starts now. Hello there. Welcome to you wherever you're listening. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition or Weekends with Walshy. My name is Peter Gowers. Thanks for joining us. I'd like to uh, introduce now our special guests from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. You know him as Walshy. We know him as Christopher Walsh, and he's the editor of the newspaper. Walshy, how are you, mate? Hey, I'm good, Pete. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. And um, as per always, there's plenty to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Like Wednesday was pretty busy, but uh, all the days were busy, and even today, now it was some. Um, Late stuff happening here, yeah. even this evening on Thursday night. Well, let's kick off with that because um, just when I thought I had all the stories ready to go, you went and threw a curveball at me because <laughs> uh, we have some breaking news out of the ICAC tonight. Yeah, yeah. Look, we haven't even had time to get this up, but we will later tonight. Um, but yeah, so ICAC Michael Riches has uh, released this report. It was tabled in Parliament tonight. It's an investigation report. He's calling it. This is uh, alleged into alleged improper conduct by Northern Territory government ministers in respect of the arrest of Mr. Zachary Rolfe. So mm-hmm. this is... Um, Interesting. Yeah, what we've been waiting for for a while. Uh, We knew that this was referred. Now, what this is, is it uh, assesses the four days between that uh, shooting in Uendamu, the infamous shooting now in November 2019, and the four days uh, following that, where, uh, you know, on that fourth day, Rolf was charged with murder. Um, the timing of this, Pete, is it's all very unusual because, look, firstly, Michael Rich is, is said last when he last spoke about this particular investigation publicly, I think you recall that he said, I, I won't be releasing this until the findings of the inquest are handed down. Yeah. And I think I've been on here telling you that, uh, well, that could be God knows when next year sometime right and like all yeah. of this stuff it just gets so bogged down and processed and um and needlessly sometimes in the delays anyway for reasons unknown now he releases it tonight on thursday night well and he didn't he would have given it to whoever gave it to in government but they've tabled it on thursday night now this is also the same day this afternoon the uh, coroner released a series of documents that we've been waiting for for a long time, and that is all of the draft versions of that Pollock slash Proctor coronial wow. report into the events of that night and what transpired after. And as you know, Pete, we've gone through everything. I mean, we've had we had some copies of drafts and i'm still like i said back then and i was on media watch saying that look what we have is different than what they have um i've just been able to go through it a bit this afternoon i can tell you that that this is where there's going to be a bigger issue here the icac report's not as important and i said this before to you as well i said look those four days between when the when the shooting happened and when rolf was charged something went on there we know that we don't expect the icac to find anything because it's going to be difficult. I mean, how do you prove that there was political interference without a smoking gun? And what would that be, an email? Would they have been that sloppy or reckless as to leave evidence? So 
I think, and we'll get into that in a sec, but just back to the um, what's come out of the inquest today. Now, I saw Sky News had something up. And what Sky News has is uh, uh, information from a draft, one of the draft reports. Uh, that is something that we've already reported. And this is about the DPP, the advice from DPP not to use the particular uh, use of force experts that the police ignored. That advice from DPP, if you recall, Pete, and they just said, I, yeah, let's I do, do it. Cool. But then, but then we're forgetting this, the DPP went along with it because they they tried the murder charge here. And we had a whole yeah. trial um, using Andrew Barham, who they knew was not reliable, was conflicted, was teaching old stuff, old tactics for use of force, didn't know what he was doing. Um so anyway, so that that is one aspect here. There's going to be more on that because we're in a unique position that we've seen a lot of some of the stuff already. So we know, and I think the thing that we'll be looking at here moving forward is what isn't in the final report. So you've mm-hmm. got all these drafts, but what was taken out? And now I'm saying what I've seen already today is that the final report was lacking a lot of the detail that some of those drafts, earlier drafts had in terms of incriminating uh, or seemingly incriminating evidence about certain decisions that were made and when they were made. And this is relevant and is to this, to the ZICAC report today. So I just want just to stay on that with the inquest stuff and that we're going to have, we're going to have more stories about that. And this is something that's going to be so big, Pete, that, that I think, you know, if, if Territorians faith or trust in its police force, you know, hasn't been shaken already, to the core, I think the only way to restore the trust after what we're seeing here now is that there needs to be a full judicial inquiry into the anti-police. We prefer that that's done with federal oversight. Uh, you know, Royal Commission is saying that gets thrown around a lot and people just kind of, it smells bad, Royal Commission now, they don't want it, too many lawyers. But something needs to be done. Is something similar to what's going on in ACT, perhaps, with this inquest into um, uh, alleged interference there with the Higgins-Lerman stuff. Uh, yeah. But we want oversight from from a federal body almost here, federal government, because this place, look, even had Jamie Chalker saying he couldn't get a fair trial here. We don't think... <laughs> If you're doing an inquest into police, that it's going to be fair with anyone locally here. So we need we need help with that. But I'm telling you that this is going to shake the the, the trust in the institution that Territorians should have. Uh, and the only way to get that that back is to fix it. And the only way to fix it is to find out what's wrong and bring it all out in the open and expect all kinds of explosive allegations at that point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll, we'll just park that there for now. That's the inquest documents today. And I just find that this kind of muddies the water. And, and, you know, the government could have released this yesterday. They could have released this two days yep. ago. They chose to do it Thursday night uh, on the same day that finally the inquest documents get released. So it's going to muddy the waters because the headline tomorrow in the NT News will be, you know, Gunner, Chalker, Madison cleared of any political interference by ICAC in the charging of Rolf. Now, that's essentially what the conclusion is that that Richards draws here, which is not unexpected, as I said. And, um, you know, he he, it's it's, it's bizarre, some of the stuff, though, in his report, and he called it Operation Crimen, 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 C-R-I-M-E-N, Operation Crimen. I don't even know that this is an operation that he conducted. It's a, <laughs> it's a report. It's a, an investigation. Anyway, he's come up with a fancy name for it, and he spends half of it um, 
talking about the, the comments that, that, that Gunner made that day, and you end up with the infamous consequences will flow. And he gets into to all of that. Like I said, like half the report is him trying to provide the context for that and yeah. asking Gunner what he meant by that. And Gunner saying, well, we had to keep, you know, there was a lot of unrest. We had to ensure that, um, that the community, you know, the safety of everybody in the community. And then we thought this would, would quell that, me saying that. But, you know, and then the context is that it's clear that it was around a coronial, it was around the coronial inquest. And he said, I can't influence that. But I'm telling you, consequences will flow or something like that. But the, the, the ICAC spends half of his report going over that, where I don't think that that's where you would find the political interference it wasn't a directive that wasn't a directive publicly yeah. to to police and to prosecutors to press charges against Rolf. i think that's silly to even think that look it upset paul McHugh. it upset a lot of police officers and that's you know then that's unfortunate that that happened but you know what that you know that wasn't the directive and i think that somehow got lost now what i'm more interested in in this is when uh, you know, Michael Gunner, Nicole Madison, and Jamie Chalker all hop on a plane together and head into Uendamo. Now, either it was just before they got on that plane or sometime where they're on that plane that Zach Rolf's details are released and leaked on social media, his right. identification, his I identity. And so uh, they knew that the pressure was kind of off them. Now, what's interesting in this report, and like I said, I've just we just got it a couple hours ago here, and I've just been able to read the first time over, uh, he says something, Riches says that he asked Chalker about what happened on that flight. Chalker says, no, nothing. We didn't talk about nothing. No, nothing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. So you, I don't Except know how long that flight, yeah, flight from Darwin to, uh, uh, you is, but it, it wouldn't be a short one. <laughs> um, I, I don't and, direct and, to you and either. Yeah. Well, if they're on the police wing. Um, they probably oh, wrong yeah, on police, but uh, you know, but they would have been flying a triple seven or something, wouldn't they? And uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> a whole no, well, section H. I think it would be pretty close quarters. And he's saying that nobody said anything the entire flight; they all just sat there. Now that's contradicted by Nicole Madison, as oh, you know, no. Pete. She oh, likes no. to talk. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. Like, She's like a line with the schnapps. <laughs> yeah. Break the vaults and get it all out. Um, yeah, like she did the, when she turned in files there and said, no, no, we yeah, all know that, about the damage of our strengths. Um, yeah, so what she says was, no, we did talk. And there was, um, you know, it was talk about what the situation on the ground in Uendamu was and uh, things of this nature. Uh, so... Okay, well, but that's contradictory stories there, and it's just kind of strange that Chuck would say, "No, we didn't talk about anything." So, like th those are the kind of areas. But look, again, he was just, just remembering the um, six dollar fifty cream slices and uh, chocolate eclairs they were enjoying. But <laughs> yeah. In between those, there was talking. Yeah, yeah, surely was. But look, and I get this. So like, I get this report. I'm not disappointed by this. This is exactly what I expected because, like I said, the, the ICAC can only investigate the evidence that's there. If there's no evidence that there was political interference, then there's no way he can make a finding of this. Um, if there was a conversation that was on a plane that, that, you know, only those parties there overheard and they're not saying anything, well, you know, what, what can you do? Again, I don't think that this is the biggest issue facing this whole investigation. I, I think we've seen how 
you know, with the allegations of perverting the course of justice that's been, that have been thrown around. I think that's the stuff we need to look at. I think that, uh, you know, anytime you get into the, uh, you know, politically, of course, Yonner would have wanted this to, uh, you know, for, for the cops name to be released so that they weren't angry at the politicians or the police. They knew they had a guy to direct their anger at. They did that. Um, it calmed the community that he was arrested so quickly. He was going to be held accountable. Um, so that was the promise anyway. And, um, but that was before the investigation was done, right? It's all behind the scenes that we're interested in that we've been revealing in all of our feature stories, that feature investigation that we did, um, where we've kind of blown this open. Here's what was actually going on behind the scenes. And, and, you know, mm. w- whether Gunner was involved or not, it still rattles the confidence people should have in, a, in the anti police force and how they handled this case, how they pursued a murder charge against a guy with no evidence and no, you know, nobody to back that up or prove it. So anyway, so that's, you know, this, but I, I'm just concerned that the headlines are going to confuse people before we get to this other stuff, which is more important and I think shows what really happened. And so don't, you know, when you read the NT News or ABC, nobody's been exonerated with this ICAC report. He's saying he doesn't have any evidence that shows that there was political interference. Okay, that's it. End of story. But here is the other stuff that shows a lot of, you know, malfeasance, perhaps cover-ups, misfeasance, whatever you want to call it, um, uh, that, that, that needs to be reviewed publicly, that we need to get our confidence back in the anti-police force after this, because this has just gone on for so long now, too, as you know. Yep. Just a mess yep. all around. Yeah, and um, just reading the subtext into that, Chris, what you're requesting is a uh, imminent retired interstate judge to come in and <laughs> oversee that? Man, like, yeah, I guess that's one way. I, I think it needs to be like just everything needs to be out of here. I don't want anybody even who who, who sleeps <laughs> in a bed in the Northern Territory involved in this, you know. Like, <laughs> we move it interstate. I don't know, but um, mm. something needs to be done because we need to we need to have that confidence back in the police force. And after all of this, these three years of terror with Chalker, and he's finally retired. Um, quote unquote, uh, you know, we, we got to clear the air here and we got to get confidence back. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, um, leads nicely into the next story because, um, you know, there's obviously been a lot of troubles throughout the territory and, uh, previously, uh, until now there was two rallies held at parliament house. And again, uh, today there was one held today being Thursday. Of course, when this comes out, it'll be Saturday. So a couple of days ago where more than a 1,000 people attended a rally against the government over crime, calling for Chief Minister to resign and uh, saying that things have really reached boiling point now. Yeah, that's right, Pete. We had uh, Man of the People, David Wood, down there uh, taking this all in this afternoon. <laughs> uh, he sure is. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, held, yeah, outside Parliament, more than a thousand people around 2 p.m. today. Now that's during question time, of course, inside. Um, so the politicians were all in there, but there was no way that anyone could really come out if the ministers all had to be there for question time. So whether yeah. or not they wanted that or not, I don't know. But uh, of course, we know that that you know they're chanting "Stop the lies, stop the violence." Um, it, it really seemed like they are kind of reaching the end of the line here and i guess we look no further than that horrific death um last week with uh, the cdu uh, bangladeshi student um 
which has really shocked everybody just at how horrific that was. And seemingly, I mean, we still don't have all the facts, but it appeared he was just in his bed and got his head caved in and yep. just horrific stuff. So you had that. You had another old mate there stabbed in the neck, had his car stolen the other day. It just seems like every day there's some sort of violent crime and elite, and with a knife or some sort of object. Yeah, that's, and, that's uh, what I was thinking the other day, Chris. It, you know, yeah. we, we used to hear a lot about break-ins and wallets and cars and things being stolen. But yeah. what we're now hearing is it's it's violence first and then that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's getting Shocking. crazy. So, yeah, so look, a thousand people, though, uh, showed up today at 2 o'clock to, to let the government know what they think. Now, Woody was reporting here that the NT Independence saw only two politicians join the crowd. And that was Independence Robin Lamley and Kezia Purick. Now, both of them only get one question a week anyway as independents, so and yep. they both use yep. them, I know. So they were out there talking to people, which is good. You want to see that, like, elected people really need to go and listen to the people. As we talked about where, you know, in, in comparison to, to Labor sending around this email saying, lock your doors for that first rally, don't talk to anybody. Um, yeah. And they hid now what the speaker did today, though, Mark Monaghan, he closed the public gallery. Uh, which prevented the public from observing Parliament in person. So really? it kind of did lock them out. Um, yeah. And not that they'd be allowed to go in and protest inside the, the chamber there, but um, but that was, you know, that was their move, I guess. Uh, and I, I don't think that they even acknowledged that it was because of that. They just said, oh, well, for some reason we just chose to do this today. Well, I think yeah, we know yeah. what it is, but nobody questioned <laughs> that. Cleaning in progress. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so, yeah, look, uh, I was observing question time uh, while Woody was down there. And I can tell you that Labour ignored that rally. I mean, they were uh, peppered with questions from the opposition about it and then questions about crime throughout question time. Now, when she was asked about it at one point, uh, the chief minister, Natasha Files, said, that her government's policies to address, to address crime were, quote, well thought out. And that she was more focused on listening to, quote, the experts in this space. So wow. I guess rather than real Territorians who are suffering through this all. Yeah. Um, so look, the, uh, the organizers. Are these experts? Do we know, do we have any names? Yeah, just the boffins in the departments. I don't know. Right. Um, okay. Organizer Colby Campbell spoke at the rally, along with her daughter and co-organizer uh, Sade Dobson, who led the crowd in chants such as Stop the Lies, No More Violence. They said they wanted transparency from the government, including the cost of damage to the Howard Springs workers' camp. We know that how that's going. Uh, how much the government had to pay former police commissioner Jamie Chalker to get him to leave the post. They also, other speakers included Declan Laverty's mother. So, um, yeah, Samara Laverty wow. was in town. She spoke. Uh Multicultural Council and Tea President, Dr. Edwin Joseph, uh, Bangladeshi Community Representative, uh, Chowdhury Sadaruddin, who spoke about Ishkar uh, and the impact of his death on the family, on his family, his housemates in the Bangladeshi community in Darwin overall. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, now this is where things kind of get a little different this time. Uh, the second rally in mid-April, uh, Ms. Campbell had called for files to stand up, not down. However, this time it was a more direct call uh, for files and several senior ministers to resign and for parliament to be dissolved, I guess, and head to an election. She said a petition uh, had been created calling on the administrator 
Hubert Kubert Hege to dissolve parliament with hopes 10,000 people would sign it, a figure that stood at 550 at the time of the rally. She said, I'm sad that we have lost another young man's life in Darwin since our last rally, an unprovoked, sickening attack. It's heartbreaking, Miss Campbell told the crowd. We should not have to be living like this. The amount of crime and some of the stories being sent into organizers are horrific. The level of fear people are living with is unacceptable. I do not understand and cannot fathom how the chief minister can operate without care for the people she is supposed to represent. We pleaded with Ms. Files at the last two rallies to please step up and leave a legacy. What we got instead was more lies and more lies to cover up those lies. And it's just wear and tear. That famous mm-hmm. line goes. So she said, um, there's really something very wrong, Natasha, and you're starting to make us annoyed. Let me remind you of your place because you seem to be confused about your position. You're not the boss of the people. You actually work for us. You serve us. This is not a dictatorship. Consult the people as we have. It's not that difficult. And again, they got into their then 22-point plan, which they want the government yep. to Extensive say. Plan. Yeah, and then there's a lot of things here. I'll just quickly, um, they wanted, of course, well, they want the, the AFP brought in to restore order immediately, which is something that sounds like it had been considered yep. and discussed widely. With yeah, power. Allegedly, um, and and probably still is, really, uh, as well as all government CCTV cameras in public areas to be live streamed. Uh, People given the power, or police, sorry, police given the power to arrest offending minors, called for audits of every service agency and not for profit funded program, service provider. So we talked about if they weren't meeting their KPIs and money to be taken away. Genuine welfare assessments conducted on any child whose parents or carers were dealt with by police for assault, domestic violence, or alcohol or drug-related offenses, and children removed if there were there was a problem. The group also wanted more police, teachers, and emergency services and health workers. They wanted camps and farms established for minor offenders who were sentenced to a skill uh, who would learn that on a farm. They also suggested. Remember the the, the CLP brought up that. Yeah. Yeah. And and they, ABC tried to ridicule it, and I was like, "That's actually the best idea they've had in a long time." But anyway, we'll yeah. we'll get into that later and how great their ideas are these days. But um, <laughs> so yeah, the organizers of the crime rally here wanted to also see uh, uh, yeah m- m- money compensation paid to victims of crime by the offenders or their parents. Mm. Uh, Tougher sentences, harsh consequences for reoffenders. Um, now, this is where, though not, I guess, officially part of their 22-point plan, organizers also called for all sitting members of parliament to produce their oath of office within seven days, which they say is required by the Constitution, and called on police to arrest anyone, and quote, impersonating a Commonwealth public officer. They could not produce proof of authority. That baffles me i have no idea yeah yeah (laughs) you're going well here guys and then this uh yeah i i don't get that the oath of office is easy when they when they get sworn in by the administrator so i i don't i don't get that anyway whatever we'll we'll find out more about that and get back to you on that pete anyway inside parliament files was asked by clp mla steve edgington if she would go outside to address the crowd she wouldn't answer that and instead suggesting her government's policies around crime are quote well thought out developed policies based on evidence we listen to government agencies we listen to the experts in this space she said we listen to the police about the resources they need and we deliver that and she actually said that now the union wow. representing, and I just, we, we 
have this in at the end. However, the union representing anti-police this week was extremely critical of the Paz government's budget, saying it was, quote, deeply concerned and disappointed the union that law and order didn't feature more prominently in the budget and that the budget was clear the government is not listening to or supporting Northern Territory police. So, you know, she can get up and say she's listening to cops. They're saying she's not listening to us. And the budget shows that there was a few million here to increase, you know, overall operations, but it wasn't going to do anything to change mm. the current situation. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's false. So she's listening to the experts and then listening to cops. She says she's not actually listening to, they say. So, yeah. Yeah, the problem is, Chris, that um, <clears throat> it's a hundredfold. I can't get into all hundred points right now. But if, if in fact, it is well thought out, and let's say it is well thought out, their plan, uh, <laughs> it's not working. And yeah, that's it. That's it, Pete. Absolutely. The bottom line is you, you don't even have to go looking for it. You've just simply got to be a social media user of any description who's linked in any way to the Northern Territory, and you will see dozens of posts per day on things that are happening. So... Whatever their plan is, it simply has failed. I know, and she won't acknowledge it, right? I think that's been the thing all week. I think she was on Katie Wolf on Monday or Tuesday, and same thing. Like she, She's not acknowledging that what they're doing isn't working, and I think that's really yep. starting to frustrate people yep. um, because we don't expect the politicians to get everything right all the time. And look, and I've said this before, too. This is complex. No one's, you know, we know it is complex, but we need to see results. We need to see things starting to happen, and we're not seeing that. And then instead of just saying, okay, we're going to have to change tag here, we're going to have to do something else, she says, no, everything's working just fine. And people know that's a lie because they can see it with their own eyes that it's not working. That, you know, the, the, the crimes going on every night continue. Like, yeah, they wake so, up with their stuff stolen in the morning. They know it's not working. And so she continues to lie, and they know it's a lie. And like I said, her credibility, I was talking about this last week, completely shot. And the violence is getting worse, and that's where that's where I reckon th there's real problems, because there's no disincentive seemingly for the offenders, uh, because there's no consequences. So the violence is getting worse, and so we're now getting violence, then robbery, or then theft, or whatever it is. I would also like to um, put a bit of a caution out into the open, and this this was said to me by someone a few weeks ago, and I've just thought more and more about it, right? Because we we know the police are under-resourced and we know they're really struggling and obviously morale's been uh, really shot to pieces. There's a, there's a belief out there that the lack of any sort of uh, change or switch from the government to get things sorted is is a little calculated in as much as there's a lot of talk about vigilante behavior. Yes, I see that, yeah. And there's a lot of talk about rewarding the offenders and blaming the victims. Mm. And there's a lot of talk about the fact that, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, I'm not saying this is a fact, I'm just saying this is the chatter, is that there's a thought process that says the government or those behind it are waiting for vigilantes to step up and then they'll crack down on that side of things and not on the actual <laughs> offenders. And look, let's hope that's not true. Yeah, I, I think that's a little far-fetched. That's a, uh, yeah. You know the expression, the silence is deafening? Yeah. 
That's the bit for me that I don't get. Blind Freddie, even a former swim teacher, could see that it's an abject failure what's happening right now in terms of law and order. And any sort of leader, and you said it with regards to Howard Springs, we don't we don't blame the government personally for this stuff. They're, they're not responsible for these people committing crimes, but they're sure as hell responsible for trying something different to get this in order because everybody's talking about this nationwide, the yeah. fact that the Northern Territory is out of control and it's now a no-go zone. Yeah, no, absolutely, Pete. Look, and, and I think we'll get into that a bit more when we get into the talk about the budget and stuff and things <laughs> um, there uh, because they had the money. They know what the problems are. This is time for them to pick their priorities. And it was interesting that um, community safety and police uh, didn't really appear to be a priority of this government now. Um, and, you know, as much as Files wants to go around telling people again that everything's working great, it, we, we know it's not. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how you break her out of this kind of um, blindness that she has here where, you know, you just want to yeah. get through to her and say, look, you know, it's not working. And you know that you should know that. Um, but she can't admit that for some reason. And she can't then. And if you can't admit that there's a problem, you're not going to be able to fix it. And Correct. this is where we're at now. And I can't believe we're, we're still talking about it like this now. Like they, they just they need to come up and take the community with them and say, here's what we're going to do. OK, we recognize this stuff hasn't working. But, you know, we, we talked about that last week with ideology getting in the way. Right. You have labor with uh, increasing the age of criminal responsibility in a place where that's maybe not the smartest move right now, that there should maybe be other measures in place to take care of younger uh, uh, people who commit crime. Um, Just saying that it's no longer a crime for them, that's that's not going to help anything, but that's their labor ideology getting in the way of the practicalities of this place. They could do that somewhere else, and Chancey mm-hmm. Pay could be heralded as some great savior that he thinks he is. Uh, but here he's letting everybody down by doing what he's doing and, and maneuvering mm-hmm. this stuff. So until they until they recognize him, we're not going to get a fix. And yeah, it's just really frustrating. And just another fact, because I've I've been um, sort of monitoring everything that's going on with regards to these rallies. And look, you know, if you if you follow, for example, the Action for Alice page, which has got something like seventy thousand followers, of which you know probably fifty thousand of those are from the territory, yeah. and you know have a deep connection to the territory. Um, and people aren't going to want to hear this either, and I apologise in advance. But these numbers turning up to these rallies are just not big enough to do anything. So if you're so against this government and you want change, that's not going to affect it. And and the worst thing that could happen, Chris, is that you've got all these disenfranchised people that want change and they're not active in this process leading up to the next election and the same government gets voted back yeah. in. Well, that's the that's the greatest fear here, and God knows what it's even going to be like a year from now, let alone election time. I think you're right. Like I take your note on that um, on the numbers. It would be better to see a lot more people out there. A thousand people, while still a good turnout, uh, wasn't as big as the three last time. If you continue to have that uh, critical mass 
of uh, people showing up, you do get something. I mean, you you look at European countries where they do that more regularly, yeah. and yeah. Um, and everybody gets involved, and they get things changed. Our government goes down, and yeah. Um, yeah, I guess you know, I guess we're not there yet, but I think if it keeps going. You know, who knows? But I, I love I love seeing people taking the democratic action that they do and telling a government that they're not pleased with their performance because that's a great thing that we can do. But yeah, yeah, we should have more people out there. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And it's not a criticism of those who are turning up and those no, who are organizing them because, you know, if, if their, uh, you know, 22-point plans weren't full of meaningful and positive things then you might look at it differently but you can see what they're trying to do and they've got their mm -hmm. hearts in the, in the right place yeah, but it's realistic to, stuff to get change we've got to get bigger numbers yeah and if that's what people want you know but, <laughs> well, i'm pretty sure people want to stay safe they want to be safe in their homes right. on the street when they go to work right. um yep. so what's it going to take yeah yep absolutely look let's move to the next story um because it sort of relates <laughs> a little bit. Parliament's back, as we said, and uh, Labor has shut down criticism of its criminal members during a crime debate, uh, with their party being labelled as full of criminals. <laughs> and you know who, who labelled it that? The, the speaker, Mark Monaghan. He oh, said yeah, because yeah, he had said to Robin Lamley, you know, you're impugning, your imputation is that the government is full of criminals, he said. That's the imputation you're making. That's disorderly. If you continue this line of questioning, you'll be removed. And she said, well, at least you understood what I was saying. <laughs> exactly. I think she uh, knew she got her point across at that point. Now, yeah, what had happened, though, was so... Uh, uh, Robin Lamley, the member for Air Lewin and Alice Springs, she gets up in Parliament and she says, okay, but it was her general business day order, her business to, to bring forward, and she wanted the government, just as these people who marched outside wanted, she wants them to recognize that there's a crime crisis. So she does this in Parliament, and then everybody, and then debate ensues, the government can talk on it, the opposition, the other independent members. So this comes up, she introduces this, uh, Labor changes it and alters it, right? And then they'll vote on it and say, yes, so then we'll acknowledge that we're doing a great job or something. But anyway, she, she introduces this motion. She then, um, uh, and she wanted recognition of the out of control crime crisis in Alice Springs. But the government had the speaker, Mark Monaghan, shut her down when she brought up Labor's values and acceptance of criminals in its ranks. Uh, Lemley referenced convicted child rapist Kent Rowe, who was, as we know, the former Territory Labor Secretary and Michael Gunner's senior advisor, as well as newly elected Air Fuhrer MLA Manuel Brown, who was convicted for killing a woman with his car in 2009. And then, as we know, lied about it, his actions in a public statement in March ahead of the by-election after we revealed that that had happened and he'd been convicted. Uh, this is the Labour Party that can't accept or recognize that we have a crime crisis, Lamley said. I think if you look at this pedophile, this man called Kent Rowe, that worked with the Labour Party for many years, and you look at this denial of the crime crisis we're facing, there's a direct link. She said, if they can live with a pedophile in their midst, a sexual predator for so long, having heard the allegations, knowing that there were charges laid, and then come out and said nothing at the time. The member for Arafura, this Manuel Brown, the latest member who was recently elected, Manuel Brown, we all know his history, she said. 
And I don't really relish in talking about this, but again, this reflects labor values. This is a man that killed a woman in Catherine. It's on the public record. It was at this point that Nicole Madison had heard enough. She (laughs) she jumped up. She said, it takes a bit to get me fired up. And all I heard was, but you disrespecting the criminals in our party, that gets me fired up. And uh, it was like, wow, really? It takes a bit to get you fired up, Madison. And that's what does it is that when she's talking about facts that your party has accepted these people with criminal histories uh, who, who, who've been doing awful things while they were members of the party in other instances, that that's what it is. It's not the crime outside that gets her fired up. The Territorians are getting mm. murdered. You know, yeah. violent crime everywhere, more stabbings like we were just talking about. That doesn't fire her up. But now you're disrespectful to a guy who lied to the public about his actions involved in killing a woman with his car. Well, no, well, that's going that's going too far. So she says, uh, well, you know, we have the, the facts here about about all of that. And I think everybody knows that whole story by now about Brown. Uh, you know, did committing this, it's up on uh, the charge with the dangerous driving causing death, ended up copping a plea to uh, driving without undue care, with, without due care. Uh, yeah. He gets, yeah, he gets convicted of that. He told, and then we break the story. Now, they did not reveal that when they announced him as the candidate. We broke the story. Uh, they then claimed that Brown had told the party, the chief minister files had said, oh, yeah, he told the party and herself about the crime, although she could not explain why they did not inform the public about the incident. Of course, Brown later claimed in a public statement that he had rendered first aid to the woman. Uh, but we know that was refuted by court documents that showed that the car was so smashed up that she was actually trapped inside, had to be removed with the jaws of life. Unfortunately, and sadly, uh, passed away at the hospital later that night. This is in 2009 in Catherine. Now also the eyewitness, and we talked about that, the son that we yeah. spoke to, who said this guy did not render first aid. This guy came flying through um the the stop sign you know there were other things he tried to say was an accident Uh, brown said it was an accident said i mean you don't get you don't get convicted for accidents okay you don't get charged Mm. um then uh also that it was he made it sound like it was a multi-vehicle pileup or something it was Mm. multi-vehicle because of him and he hit that first car well he hit that first car so hard that he trapped a woman in there almost killed her but the car then spun around and hit another car that was stopped and that person got whiplash. That's how fast he was coming through that stop sign. Oh, it's an accident. And then yeah, he yeah. rendered first day. I mean, it's just nonsense. It's just complete fabrication and lies to the public to get elected. And and this is what labor does. And then they welcome him into the party with open arms. Yep. Even when yep. we can prove that he lied about everything, they don't want to hear it. Yep. Uh, He's still so, in the circle of trust, even though we know he lied. Unbelievable. Right, and nobody's brought that up yet in Parliament, but uh, I'm sure it will. Anyway, will the circle of trust sit again anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know how they trust one another. Remember, they hand around the conch, drink out of the conch. Remember, they're 100 percent absolutely telling the truth when we know that they're not, and they're all yeah. yeah I don't know, turn ratting on each other now. Anyway, just the the the, the little background, just on the course, uh, the Ken Rose stuff, and that we revealed late last year that Madison's brother knew about. The child sex assault allegations against Roe back in 2013 when when Roe was running Madison's election campaign, uh, she has repeatedly refused to say when she was first informed of the allegations and what she did when she was made aware. Uh, so nothing. 
Um, anyway, Lamley attempted to continue her speech in Parliament after Madison objected to her naming criminals, uh, then bringing up member for Daly, D. Ran Young, who verbally assaulted a CLP member outside Parliament House in 2021 when he was a Labour staffer, which forced the government at the time to actually say that he did not, quote, reflect Labour values. But mm. nevertheless, later that year, pre-selected him for the Daly by-election. <laughs> you talk about labor values. They actually said that he does not re- represent our labor values. Four months <laughs> later, here's our new candidate. And the thing was, he was never named at the time. I remember John calling me because we ran that story breaking that. This is the guy that they just said didn't reflect the values. And John said, oh, man, they never named him. He yeah. said, I got to get that up. So he did a story as well. Uh, it was just unbelievable. Like they just have nothing. They stand for nothing. I, I told you that last week, yeah. just how yeah. morally bankrupt these people are. So she brought up that about the Ran Young. Then Monaghan, the speaker, cut cut Lamley off at that point. Said she was making imputations about labor MLAs, despite everything she said being factual. Uh, and that's what he said. The imputation is that the government is full of criminals. Lamley said, "Look, the point I'm trying to make here is that there's a question mark over what labor values are." adding that some Labour members had acted in ways that, quote, don't particularly meet the expectations of the public. She said, so given the fact that I've been shut down to talk about just exactly what I would like to illustrate in terms of Labour values, suffice to say that this government is truly bereft of a proper compass when it comes to morals and what's right and wrong. I feel very strongly that that is reflected in how they manage crime and the crime crisis in the Northern Territory. Uh, yeah. Look, if we need an explanation for why this isn't getting through to them, it's because it never gets through to them. They had a pedophile in their ranks that they knew about and they didn't do anything like, you know, you yeah. just. You, and then and then they accept this guy who's who's lying about crimes that he's committed in the past involved the death of a person. I think Lamley said that, too. Like, you're the first. He's the first person elected here that's actually been responsible for killing somebody <laughs> you know and that this just offends them even though it's a fact mm. anyway uh yeah she was then attacked by chancy peg uh later in parliament attorney general who said lamley bringing up labor members criminal past was spiteful and disgusting um and that but was, why yeah what, what, ma- what makes oh. it that and and, and you know if look, if she was just doing it to throw out, you know, barbs for no particular reason, that that uh, that's one thing. But her right, her, it was in context here. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> in context. And the woman's seat is in Alice Springs, which is burning down around itself. So yeah. she she's got every right in the world to be annoyed with the absolute inaction as to yeah. what's going on. And this is even after they've been given two hundred and fifty million dollars to fix it. Yeah. So it's it's not like they're powerless and rudderless. They've got all the levers in place. They're just not using them, or they're yeah. using them so badly, nobody can see what they're using them for. Yeah, and she wants to know why. So she's saying, "Well, yeah. what is this?" Like, because because like I've told you, like these people do not function properly. Like anywhere else in the world, they wouldn't act like this. Like they, yeah. they, it's just not getting through, right? And she was and saying, so, "Look, if yeah, you had one crew in your group, that it makes sense." But um, it's starting to mount up now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, you think it's like an incapacity or something for them to do, but they they seem to. Yeah. Anyway, look. She so she's pointing out and saying, "Look, I think the fact that you don't address these own issues in your own." party how can you then go out and address these issues in public and i I think she's got a point anyway kate warden was very upset again said she was being grumpy 
grubby by raising the issues and said that she personally and publicly rebuked Roe's conduct after he was convicted. She also <laughs> raised the scandalous actions of the previous CLP government from 2012 to 16 as ex- an example of other political parties with problematic members and questionable values. So, yeah, so if they could why do it, she, why, why don't you bring up the Republican Party while she's at it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's completely irrelevant. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You can't, you can't justify your own problems here by saying, yeah. well, these guys were bad too, so why can't we be as bad as them? It's, we should be allowed to be. Exactly right. So I could, it's like when my kids swear and my wife says, why did you do that? And they, they say, well, yeah, dad does. doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, whoa. Well, that's that's no kind of fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's just, yeah, like personal responsibility, right? I mean, um, these guys should be setting the standard. I mean, they're the ones who were voted in. We voted them in as our leaders, our representatives, and they're not doing their job, so why? And I think Lamley was spot on to... Um, to draw that conclusion and to start pointing out, well, let's talk about the values here at this party because, yeah, it's not reflected in the community. It's not meeting the expectations of the community, um, what they're doing. So start doing something. And instead, they're just going to they're just gonna play politics and say, well, how dare you say that stuff? And there was something about in Parliament, whether or not you can directly say something about a member, even though this is all factual. And so it's a little gray right. up on that stuff. But you can outside of Parliament anyway. It's, um, you know, because they got to have these rules to protect themselves in Parliament. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but look, no, she she was right on there to, to follow that up. I can tell by the amount of reads we had on it that people were surprised um, and and agreed with her because, yeah, a lot of people reading this, I, I'm not sure if some people didn't know about the extent of this. Like, she didn't, like, I'll just say, like, I know where she was going with this. It was clear she was going to go through everybody and they stopped her before she could. Right? Like, there, yeah, there, that, that, there, there are more members, there are more members of the party, there are more members of parliament and labor that have done things that they kind of overlook. And uh, we just yeah. had a story about the police minister threatening action man and Alice, yeah. remember, with her yeah. husband. Like, that, that's yeah, the yeah, kind yeah. of conduct that, that shouldn't be tolerated with our elected, elected officials, especially when we have this crime crisis. And she's talking like that. It's, it's crazy. My first thought was when you said that uh, Nicole Madison jumped up and started defending things, I thought, hmm, maybe Chris needs to do a bit of digging there by the sound of it, as uh, she was the first one to leap into action to get this shut down. <laughs> yeah. Not well, saying because, she's done anything wrong, but... And I think, you know, you go and read stories, and like I said, I got my file, things I know to be true but cannot <laughs> prove, and... Um, you know, but things have come up anyway. Look, she's she's done a terrible job uh, all around. <laughs> anyway, look, man, they have, and we got to fix it. So let's just get on with it instead of this kind of stuff. Indeed. All right. Look, um, let's let's move to the next story because we have uh, brought it up a couple of times. But let's get into the meat and potatoes of it. The NT budget twenty twenty three. Yep. More federal funds. But a surplus is still years away as the figures cast out. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I'll tell you, it's money for, they're saying, 
on the $40 billion economy. I'm telling you, it's a minus $40 billion they're trying to achieve. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I think further proof and uh, dejected-looking Eva Lawler, though I'm not sure that we can really tell her expressions <laughs> sometimes. But uh, <laughs> anyway, she was out there at ABC doing an interview that night and uh, seemingly admitting or acknowledging that, uh, yeah, they're not going to make that $40 billion goal. Uh, so... You know, but look, we we look at this and we can just see this. I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous how they've managed the the finances of this place, how they've um, you know damaged the economy to the point that they have, and that they still don't seem to get that the the, the crime problem will have an impact on the economy as well. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I just yeah, and I, I think I was telling you that the other day, right? That I, I just wanted to get to the point of the money here because I did not want anyone saying, "Oh, we're back in surplus." And it was like, yeah, but, you know, because Gunner, yeah, Gunner had promised that many years out, and it hasn't yeah, yeah. changed here at all. It's still not until 2026 expected, which is qualified at one point in the actual budget papers that says, if achieved. They, they said the projected surplus was qualified in the government's budget papers with the caveat, if achieved. So they don't even think they're going to achieve this. And it's ridiculous, because if you look at the numbers, it's just mind-blowing, and you know, I'd said that um, somebody said, well, how do you how do you kind of sum up this budget? And I said, well, it's just a hold the line kind of budget. It's a dud yeah. budget. There's same, nothing same. really here. It's a dudget. It's a dudget, dud budget. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and it was exactly like last year. Promises of the surplus. Meanwhile, what happened is they've been bailed out once again by unexpected a GST windfall. Uh, yeah. So this is, again, a government that's not managing finances properly and somehow just falls ass backwards into money. <laughs> and, you know, but, but yet, but yet they, they're still so bad at managing that mm. the debt goes up. The debt yeah, continues yeah. to climb, reaching that $10 billion, but I think it's next year, the year after. Um, and then they say, oh, and then it'll slowly start coming. Then, no, oh yeah, when you get your surplus, like these these projected numbers too, Pete. These um, the the uh, forward estimates. I have never seen more fictitious figures in a budget before. Right. This one, like this, is bad. Yeah. This is stuff. We looked at this, and we're like, wait, that can't even possibly be true. How can you do that? And unfortunately, they don't answer our questions. Um, but we'll get other people to ask for us because there's going to be unions who are going to be pissed off about some of this and where the money seems to be going or being saved from. And there's so many questions about it. But I, I just got to the point where I was like, it, it looks like it's made up. Like, they don't even care. Just put the forward estimates down. By the time we get there, everyone will have forgotten that these yeah. numbers are way off. No one will look back anyway. Yeah, so that's what I was doing, just looking back at things and saying, like, yeah, this is just nonsense. So anyway, look, it was uh, Lawler's first budget. Now, we said here, Lawler delivered the 2023 budget on Tuesday morning in Parliament and broke a new anti-political tradition by not resigning after delivering it. As former <laughs> Treasurer and Chief Minister Michael Gunner did last year, I was hoping that would, that would become a yeah. thing. And we yeah. just do that every Annual year. tradition. Yeah, and you walk <laughs> off. Uh, but as we said, there were Drop similarities. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's what I was trying to connect here. But there are similarities between this year's budgets and last. Uh, unexpected record, record federal money improving the government's bottom line. No movement being made on returning to a surplus any sooner than last year's commitment, which still isn't going to happen, as well as no real action to curtail government spending. 
There was something that I saw there for the end of this financial year now, so the end of what next month, they're saying that their savings that they were able to find from the departments equals $1 million. Wow. Like, I, that's just yeah. unbelievable. And this is, they're told like, oh, you can't overspend, you have to save money, and that's what they can come up with, $1 million. They're spending <laughs> Dr. $8 million. Dr. Evil would be impressed anyway. <laughs> Well, they, they, yeah, they would probably celebrate. They'll probably put out a release about that the next month saying, we saved $1 million. Yeah. Like, man, it's yeah. not going to impress anybody. They're, they're now, changing pen brands. Yeah, now this is it. So, right, so $1 million they saved this year. This year's deficit, fiscal deficits, budgeted at $1.1 billion. Wow. So, $1.1 billion. Uh, so, if they're debt, Chris, is the, are the interest payments must be going up now. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think they were saying it's what one point three million a day. I think the opposition crunched that number and suggested it was about yeah. one point three. I think I saw. Um, yeah, and all of that. Look, we yeah, we're going to do a bit more on this. There were some other funny numbers in there that are worth exploring and kind of separate stories. I know people kind of just, you know, their eyes kind of glaze over when you're yeah. talking about the budget. And I can tell that we don't get many reads on these, but we have to do it because we know there are some committed people and we just need to keep an eye on the government when they do this stuff. Um, uh, and, and as much as they probably hope that nobody reads it, I encourage people to read it because you should know mm. where, where their priorities are and where your money's going. Um, Absolutely. There were some other things here. Now, uh, the net debt, yeah, nine point two billion next financial year. Now, now we're back to a net debt to revenue ratio of one hundred and thirteen percent. Meaning, again, the government's spending more than they're bringing in, and that's to keep the lights on. The net debt is anticipated to continue to grow to nearly ten billion by twenty five twenty six. Uh, according to the budget documents, GST revenue is expected to increase by nearly one billion, more than expected to twenty twenty six. So it's like. Already, yeah. we're getting three point eight billion or something, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it's it's the largest yeah. revenue source for the government, um, and of course, it's all unattached, right? So like they can absolutely do absolutely nothing they have achieved. It's just by the rest of Australia spending up. Yeah, and th this isn't the grant money that they get, which is actually their strings attached that mean that they need to spend it in certain areas. This GST yeah. thing, uh, you know, is supposed to have that equal level of service. So you expect yeah, to be yeah. health spent in health and other things, which they do, but then they. You know, one of the things that they were patting themselves on the back uh, was about this budget was the uh, the infrastructure spend. Uh, now, this is just getting ridiculous. Now, uh, they're calling a record infrastructure spend. They, they're saying it's four billion this mm -hmm. year, which is crazy because I heard I heard Lawler say we've spent eight billion on infrastructure since we first came into office. So yeah. that's in 2016. So over seven years, they spent eight billion dollars, but somehow they're going to get four billion out the door this year. Like this is crazy. Not one is not even needed. Well, well I mean, it's needed in some extent, but it's not going to happen. And that's what they do. And they carry it over from previous years, and then they, the next year they'll say it's the the next record commitment, funding commitment for infrastructure. Mm. Every year they've been doing this for the past four or five years, and it's like nothing's getting out the door here. So, well, there is something, but it's not, it's nowhere near. It's like a billion or something. Um, so now that would be anticipated to be spent on roads and other transport infrastructure and then 842 billion. So yeah, of that 2.2 billion, they're saying this year is anticipated to be spent on roads and other transport infrastructure. Wow. That ain't going to happen. 
that there's no oh. way that's going to happen. Then they're saying 842 million for remote and urban housing. Yeah, uh, yeah no, it's just They've historically good. struggled to spend the money on housing, haven't they? Oh, that was just a debacle, right? They don't even yeah. know what they're doing out there. The Auditor General found yeah. that they had no KPIs. They couldn't even say what, what they were doing was effective. Um, then they got in a big fight with the federal government over it. And that's when Scullion, who was the Indigenous Affairs Minister at the time, said, glass bowl, we're going to do it <laughs> and all the money and we're going to see where it goes because you are the ones screwing this up, Michael Gunn yeah. and, yeah, yeah. uh, and Nicole Madison and they're... Yeah, look, they just—it's just, just remarkable at how poor they are at managing finances, and the and they just get away with it because people glaze over. They don't care when it's budget time. They want to hear like the things that actually affect them. I get yeah. that. Yeah, like um, you know that. Uh, but this is done every year, and then the government comes out and says, "Oh, we're subsidizing utility." bills right so mm. it's not gonna be well, mm. that's been always done here it needs to be done here every Nothing's government's done that. It, it's just an annual thing but they tried to spread the spurt that as some great thing that they were doing to combat the cost of living pressure there's really not much in here for that yeah um you know and the other thing is i know that the the media like to do this and this is only to get people interested and to trick them into reading a story about a budget but they'll say winners and losers are you the yeah. winner are you a loser find yeah. out well we're all losers okay yeah. that's the, <laughs> the giveaway that's so true. um and i think that they had interviewed uh, rolf gerritsen and sometimes we talked to him and this year i didn't get to talk to him uh the cdu professor who used to work for labor but uh he had told the NT News, yeah, there really is. This is just a hold the line. There's no winners or losers. And they're like, yeah, but infrastructure is a winner, right? And then wrote a whole thing about how, yeah. no, he's right. There are no winners or losers in this. And it's just a hold the line budget until next year when that's when we'll see the the, the real sweeteners that they can't afford <laughs> exactly. ahead of a budget or ahead of an election. Yeah. Um, yeah so, uh, Anyway, yeah, just and then her speech too. I just noticed was full of contradictions. Um, at one point, she said the economy was growing because we're diversifying our economy, but then said the economic growth outlook was heavily influenced by the timing of activities with the Barossa offshore gas project, and that was the thing she kept bringing that up. And now this is, of course, tied up in courts. We don't know where yeah. that's going to go, but she yeah. was saying that 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 was crucial to the to the to the growth outlook on the economy here. Um, but she then said government's economic forecasts do not factor in the significant portfolio of private sector projects that have not yet reached final investment decision. Now, this is fracking in the Beetaloo, which is fair enough. That'll do something. Yep. If that go, if the feds don't come in and shut them down over that because they didn't do their job properly. Um, but Project Sea Dragon, uh, bringing that up again, which, as we know, went into administration. Um, the Barossa project currently held up in legal in a legal fight. Uh, then the budget also did not include the government's recent decision to allow, yeah, on sure gas and be to lose the two billion in federal money for the middle arm industrial precinct, which if that actually gets up and running, would I guess bring some money in. Uh, federal funding for defense projects also not included. Uh, economic development will contribute to a strong economic growth and employment outcomes and further support the territory government's target of a $40 billion economy by 2030, she said. However, the budget figures show the $40 billion economy by 2030 is not likely with a 27 billion dollar economy forecast three years from now um yeah 
so that's let me tell you, it's not likely it never was. It no, never so 2627, it's 27 billion. That's less than the two billion dollar improvement from this year. So they yeah. know that the economy is not growing at the rate in which they want it to. Yeah. But they'll pretend and just say, no, we're going to reach that. And I think it was like Mark Spain of all people, you know, him, he's the uh, head of the fireys. And yeah. he said, and then I thought, oh, they've just done this. But he's come out and he said, oh, you know, like the government, they want to do, you know, the, the $30 billion economy thing and we're going to help them and we're going to be working with them. And it's like, wait a second, $30 billion. <laughs> And now I'm thinking like they brought him out. He was just doing the soft announcement on that. Yeah. He, he didn't screw up. <laughs> like he looked like he screwed up and had no idea yeah. what the figures yeah. were. But now yeah. he might have, they might have said, all right, Spainy, you go out there and tell us $30 billion. We need a discount. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, some of the things people care, uh, 100 million for hospitals, largely RDH in this year's budget, 71 million for utility price increases, like we talk about every year, uh, 35.6 million to re energize tourism, including for marketing activities. Instead of fixing crime, they figure they can market their way out of that oh in Central Australia, especially. Uh, yeah, it's damaged homes and water. There's money for that. Uh, correctional services to get money. 7.7 for antisocial behavior reform initiatives. 5 million to recruit firefighters. 3 million for a well-being strategy for police. Uh, aimed at investing in the future. 65 million to the Aboriginal Justice Agreement. Uh, an anti-racism initiative. 27 million uh, to support youth justice and out-of-home care. 10 million domestic family and sexual prevention. Violence Prevention Plan, $5 million to strengthen cybersecurity and protection of critical infrastructure. They said 4.5 over three years to implement the Territory Water Plan. Um, yeah. yeah. It's all about the future, as Lawler said. It invests in how we live and work long into the future. And it makes sure that every Territorian has a place in the future. And it's a budget that ensures that children and young people will be equipped to take their place in the future. Wow. That is a real future in that. Unfortunately... Uh, it's all hogwash and based on a house of cards. Um, it but really, I, really is. Yeah. I do have some advice for them if they do need to get some money out the door for infrastructure. I mean, there's plenty of streets that could have uh, completely unneeded shade structures put up on them. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they're doing that too. That wasn't in their list in the budget thing, but they have put it out before. They're going to do something up on Smith Street, I think, now. Yeah, that, that was the yeah. that was the word. Talked about the, that. The thing I would say, Chris, in relation to people not caring about the budget, and I do, I do understand that you know it can sort of wash over because it, people feel like it doesn't directly impact them, but that debt is going to be paid back at some point, and not only that, but people should be wanting to see that the money is being spent wisely and competently. And, you know, yes, we had COVID and that was extraordinary. So that created all this sort of spending of monumental proportions. But if if you're going to come out with something outlandish like we're going to build a $40 billion economy by 2030, you, you, you've got to be on the path to doing that. You've got mm-hmm. to be showing something other than headlines and yeah. one-liners, which is all we get. Yeah. And not only that, but you've also got to be not at the bottom of every independent economics paper that says NT economy, worst in the country. 
Yeah. You, you know, yeah. you've got to have something that, well, that turns it around. And yeah, right yeah. now, there's nothing. No, uh, and and that's what we see. When we see a record infrastructure spend, and just to get back on that, that's the government saying that there's not enough, like they need to be spending on this to keep jobs going because yeah. there's not enough private investment. Now, they talked about these other private investment projects not coming online, so they weren't in the budget. But then she says, but they are going to come online. Once they get final approval, and it's going to be wonderful. But then the budget actually says that they're predicting the private investment will drop. <laughs> over the coming years, right? And yeah. this isn't a thing. Like this, this is legit. That that that's what it looks like. They they have failed terribly at attracting mm. that private investment here, and for a lot of reasons, one of them too. You go back to crime. Um, yeah. But you Absolutely. know, it's a whole holistic thing that they need to be fixing, and they're failing in every area. So the place is just slowly imploding and crumbling down on itself. Correct. And spending any money on tourism right now, marketing, uh, <laughs> is it, honestly, it, yeah. it is the equivalent to ripping up $10 notes and throwing it out the window. Yeah. You you are absolutely insane if that's where you're spending your money right now. Spend it on improving the place and then get the tourists to come back when, when they can come back and know they're going to be safe. Yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, and that's it. And, and just to... to uh, just on that, and I just want to say quickly about the budget, and I did talk about it briefly there, the uh, funding priorities. Now, the police have come out, the union represent police, saying that, yeah, that, that the crime's going unabated here, um, and this budget failed to adequately address pressing law and order issues. Uh, so as much as, yeah, they went on, the government claimed this budget funding priorities for, quote, justice reinvestment to affect Long-term generational change. They're still saying this. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the police weren't happy about that. And, um, yeah, it, it's just it's remarkable. And they said, yeah, that it shows that, that this government isn't listening or supporting police. There appears to be no urgency from government to plug the gap caused by an increasing attrition rate with anti-police. Um, and the graduation of, of these constables, community police officers, uh, and auxiliary set a target for the next financial year, but the attrition rate is 10.65%, which means the anti-police force is losing around 162 officers annually. So much as they say they're bringing 162 in, and there was no money in the budget for that, for anything yep. to, to yep. do that. So they weren't happy about that at all. And it does seem strange that, it, you know, it just seemed like this is part of a plan that was from the beginning and it didn't take into effect that you're going to have issues come up, such as a crime crisis yeah. that you should have known about because in all these other areas, you directly contributed to you that. caused it. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, they just kind of buried their head in the sands on that. And um, mm. yeah, nothing really there. So a lot of uh, the police union anyway was upset and so was the CLP. Well, let's get on to that because, uh, as always, the uh, budget was laid down by the government and the opposition got their chance to reply, uh, describing the territory as going backwards. <laughs> uh, however, the budget reply was a little overshadowed by allegations of uh, political payoffs, Chris. Yeah, yeah it really was, and, and, and unnecessarily so, but um, wow, yeah, I, I couldn't believe that. And a couple of things to say on the speech. Look, I, it, Leah did okay on that speech, I think. But 
yeah, here's the thing. And I mean, she's right. When she, and this is what she did right. She got up and she said, you're not investing in community safety and police here. And we need this right now more than ever. You should have been directing more funds to, toward here. Now, what we did see was that some of that federal money was announced in the federal budget, which is, is supposed to hire like 30 new cops in Alice Springs, some of that money, right? Yeah. And, um, but, the, the, you know, but the, the anti-government can't, just again, just rely on the federal government to come in. They need to show the community their priorities are to do this themselves. Yeah. Anyway, that's ridiculous. So, but yeah, Leo Fnacchio got up, delivered her budget reply speech, criticized Labor's budget for not providing new funding for community safety amid a crime crisis. Uh, but then by the end of that speech, found herself criticized for promising political positions to her team amid leadership tensions in the CLP. Now, we'll get back <laughs> to that story a couple of weeks ago that we ran. Yeah. Um, and then I think it was all leaked online now then on Facebook, the uh, the actual motion. Now, we had the story and we broke the story that, that a couple of the branches were not happy and a lot of rank and file members are not happy with Leah Fanacchio's leadership. They're moving a no confidence motion that we brought up uh, soon in a uh, in a few weeks, maybe just over a little under a month. And Catherine will be the central counsel of the CLP, uh, expect this motion that's circulating now already to, to be there, to get up even. But as we pointed out, you know, um, the, 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 the rank and file members, the branches don't have the power to actually remove the leader. Now they can, they can pass that motion and, and do the vote and say that the party as a whole has no confidence in their leader. But she could still just remain the leader. I mean, it's hugely <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah. Now, where the knifing has to come from is in the parliamentary wing. And uh, and as we know, when we were talking about this, the numbers were kind of three and three and one. And the one mm -hmm. being somebody who was not committing either way. Yeah. Well, that person then on at the end of the budget reply speech gets promoted to be the shadow treasurer. Wow. Which then means, you know, basically if, if the CLP is elected, this person will be guaranteed to become the treasurer, which for some people is a good role. Uh, I don't really know what Bill Yan's experience is <laughs> with finance, <laughs> why, why this is something. But anyway, look, when she was done that, for her to bring that out, it was, it was really strange at the end to say that. And, and it was Madison again, though, who jumped up and said, well, it's, clear you know he must be what did she say well the member for namajira must be a very important number in the party room madison said in parliament you only anointed one member of your team he must be a special number the only thing he has to do to become treasurer is to give loyal and dedicated service for the next 15 months to the leader of the opposition and get re-elected it was such a bad political play like it was mm. really stupid because it was around this time too that everybody was starting to report on it because the the, the papers the uh, the actual motion was being leaked on social media. I think Action Man had Darren had uh, had the actual motion up, and so then like the ABC reported on. It. I think the NT News finally reported on it, and we had yeah. it two weeks ago. But anyway, um, and she knew that the the spotlight would be on that. She was even asked the day before about it. And said, no, I'm not concerned about the people who are more interested in talking about themselves. It's like, well, no, and I would have stopped you yeah, with respect here, Leah. They're talking about you. 
They're not talking about themselves. <laughs> They're saying they don't <laughs> want you in the role anymore. Yeah. Um, but it just looks so blatant to do that at the end and say, well, I'm giving this guy. And Labor was right to pick up on that. And rarely do we give them points for doing this. But that was just such a blatant, yeah. dumb political move at a bad time where it overshadowed everything that she had said. Because people are like, oh, well, that's the takeaway. Now she's given this. She's paid off somebody to continue to support her in the leadership mm. thing. It's just a bad thing. Like, I just I, I cannot understand why they would do that. Uh, but we've seen a lot of bad political moves by them. Expect them to continue, right? Like, I don't see yeah. them participating anytime either. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I, I did. I did then thought it think it was fair though that we we put in some of the stuff here, and we went. We already went through why why they don't like Leah, and that's her leadership style. She's not consultative, and um, mm. a lot of that is she's not able to take people with her and show them where she wants to go. The voice, the parliament again, also creating that schism in there, um, yeah. and the you know the rank and file saying well, we don't support her. We're with Jacinta Price on that, and Leah's on the fence. Instead of saying, look, we kind of have to support this um because we got to win <laughs> and um <laughs> you know it's like yeah like owen was saying like they, they seem to be wanting to get this the centrist voters um but lee is not explaining that to the party who are the core conservative right-wing people she's not explaining like look we need to do this for this reason and then we're going to do this and here's our plan and we do have to appease the center and we need to do this and you, you saw a lot of talk about that on social media when we ran that story yeah. about that um and i know it upset leah it upset people in the party um and we had some nasty notes about that us running it and it's about this <laughs> a story it's in the public interest and they will get the motion up and yeah i'm being yeah. the one breaking that story um so but but that was the issue was that 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 she's not taking people there um she's not explaining exactly what she's doing she's making decisions herself even when the parties and then the party gets their backs up when they vote and say well we don't want this and then she's a little too bad i'm not gonna do what you want me to do I, it, it's just really bad leadership it's just bad leadership overall so we'll see what happens uh, in Catherine at Central Council early next month in June. So, uh, but I did want to get into just what she said in her speech, although she did do her best to overshadow that. Uh, she, she said uh, poor financial management. She attacked labor for that, allowing crime to get to the point where territorians don't feel safe in their own homes. Labor's budget spends harder, not smarter. She said, and I think that is such a true line. These guys think that uh, record spends, we're throwing more money at police than ever before, that that's going to solve something, that money yeah, solves yeah, the problem, yeah. right? So she, she's good on that. Um, yeah, Chief Minister, you cannot spend your way out of this mess of labor's making. You should not be making territorians pay for your failings. Uh, she said, um, yeah, when I tell territorians that we have a $10 billion debt, they comment that we have nothing to show for it. Except, I think the shade, the shade structure. Yeah, um, that's it. it really is because it was one billion when they came in, right? One point four or something, and now and next year, and we we really do have nothing for that. Uh, nothing good. Now, I, I wanted to get into this because I, you know, and I didn't want them accusing me. Well, you didn't get our plan and what our vision for recovery is or calling it is. <laughs> so here's what it is: it's a plan that includes bringing in a territory coordinator 
we've already heard this stuff to facilitate investment, bringing in a fast track approvals task force to help business, introducing and then into crime stuff, introducing more bail amendments, giving police more powers, mandatory sentencing, implementing sentence to a skill for offenders, putting youth justice back in corrections and not raising the age of criminal responsibility. I get back to the headline in that quote that you said about the territories moving backwards. Yes, She's She's just pitched a bunch of ideas that would move the territory backwards. This is what I don't get. Maybe five, six, seven years ago, some of these might have worked. Some of them might have worked when the COP were last in power 10 years ago. These guys are completely bereft of new ideas. uh, And this is part of the problem. They're offering nothing. This is all bad ideas. Even that idea that I was talking about earlier, where they said they wanted to have some sort of farm, the members did, but labor, Leah wouldn't wouldn't commit to it and then the abc tried to to make fun of it and, and dismiss it outright where it's something that actually should be looked at is the best fresh idea that they've had in a long time and i said that at the time and now we're seeing this stuff i mean we're getting back to john elfrink stuff here uh well it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not gonna work anymore it's just the things have changed so much from there to now. And the problem that we're in now is far worse a problem than we ever were with crime and antisocial behavior and, yes. and those issues. So uh, these same old ideas aren't going to work anymore. Neither party can actually address it right now without the assistance of the federal government. But we've got to start looking at ways to really address it holistically. And, and this is just this is just nonsense to attract people to do the law and order campaign that they're going to run, but they have no new ideas for law and order. And so they're not going to win based on that. They've also got full jails. So I keep bringing this up. So Mm -hmm. where are they going to put all these people? Because really, I arrived in Darwin in 2001. And at that stage, it was the Martin government, which was quite popular, at least in its initial phases. And um, all the CLP used to say is, cut red tape, tougher on crime. And all that is... (laughs) It's just those things just reworded, this fast track stuff. It's just yeah, cutting yeah. red tape. It's <laughs> it really is. And and for yeah, for them to have this long and to see the problems that labor has consistently got itself into and all of us uh, over those seven years and to just still be rehashing this garbage. Yeah, and then I, I yeah, it just shows the lack of vision and the, what did she even call it? A vision for recovery. It's not a vision, <laughs> vision board. Yeah, it's a vision for drawing dragging us back again. We gotta find a way. We gotta find new ideas here. And this is what this is how you defeat labor if you're the CLP. You come in with good ideas, better mm-hmm. ideas, newer, fresh ideas and how it's gonna work. And then I don't think they're gonna do that before the next election. And I know that they're happy and patting themselves on the back, thinking that they're going to win because of their tough on crime approach um because the crime's out of control right they honestly think that i I, i'm I'm not so sure i don't think that they're going to win based on that it it is not going to get them across the line as i said with the rally it's all well and good for you know some some people to stand up and say this that and the other but there's got to be a wholehearted approach from anybody who opposes the current situation and you've got to remember there'll be a big chunk who don't oppose it because it's in their best interest not to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so Leah being the good tactician that she is, is uh, thought, okay, well, how do I really ignite everybody? Okay, here's how we're going to announce at the end of the budget reply speech, besides the point of paying off the 
Billy Ann for his vote, which <laughs> whatever, I'm sure he'd say, oh, no, no, I support the leader. We go to him, oh, I support the leader 100%. Okay, Bill. But anyway, <laughs> but besides that announcement about him being promoted to shadow treasurer, she then um, announced that the failed candidate from last year's daily by-election, Chris Civiterese, is the new candidate to run in the seat again in next year's general, general election. And we all screamed and yelled and threw our hands up in the air and we're wow. so excited. I look, he, he's a nice guy, but he ain't lighting this whole election on fire here. You know, like he's, he's not the game changer. He's already lost in daily. And then I don't, I don't even get why they think announcing one new candidate for daily yeah. is the and only one who got now. excited about that was D. Ran Young over there. The guy who was threatening to bash people. <laughs> parliament he was happy about it but yeah like she said that this shows that her team is growing and has momentum by mr civil Teresi's pre-selection right. uh that's the best they got for candidates here i don't know like i said look chris is a good guy a nice guy but um yeah. i think that he, he's already lost in the daily by in the daily by election i think it was in 21 or 22 um so yeah uh I guess we'll sit back and wait for the next electric announcement. But it's really, yeah, uh, it wasn't executed as well as it should have been on that day when she had the date, the morning to herself Mm. anyway, to deliver this budget reply speech. And look, I'm no political tactician, but uh, forget about your candidates for now. Let's get some actual policies out the door that are going to make some difference because that's (laughs) what people want to hear. I know, I know. And then we just saw the recycled policies from 10 years ago. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's park that. And uh, you can let me know when there's another candidate announced for (laughs) a by-election or for a seat. And uh, let's get on to a really interesting story that uh, you guys did this week, because I must admit my eyebrows were raised somewhat when uh, you wrote an article that uh, Natasha Files' parents we're actually the biggest donors to Labor's Arafura by-election victory, yeah. uh, according to NTSEC disclosures. That's right. Uh, yeah, we saw this. The Files' mom and dad were just single contributors to the Labor Party during Arafura by-election. Political activists. Now, they live in Darwin, retired teachers. Oh, yeah. Um, why their interest in the teaching runs in the family, doesn't it, Chris? The the which teaching runs in the family. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, why why they're so interested in the RFU by election? We're not sure. Now we know that was run by the controversial candidate Manuel Brown. Um, yeah, Brown, according to these uh, disclosures, just for now, this is just for the period. And it's not even, I think that was going up, that's going up tomorrow or something, the days just leading up to it. Now, this was a month, month before or so. Um, now, these disclosures are mandatory under law. It shows Brown failed to attract any donations personally. Uh, but the Labor reported 20,900 in donations from 46 donors, including over 8,000 in gifts received. Now, that gifts received, uh, that is the, from what I understand, the uh, that's over the threshold. So you get donations, anything over 1,500, you, right. you have, your name has to go on it. So this gift total was 4,500 and was listed as being from Andrew and Cheryl Files. 
uh, which we know are the chief minister's parents, and did make up was recorded, went down as the single largest contribution to the party for the by-election. Uh, it was unclear, though, what form that gift was uh, and what form it was given, right? So there's gift in kind, like was this for polling? Was this for advertising? Um, it's, un- it's unclear, yeah. It's uh, and, and in that, it's a little odd, too, right? Because I was looking back and I found, I'm going to do a little more digging into this, but I went back and I found that um, at the Fannie Bay by-election last year, there was a similar figure, 5,000. And that was attributed to Paul Henderson, the former chief minister. Right. Now, it seems that you're looking at, they've got figures, they've got something that they're doing in the election. And I'll, and I'll find out about that more, but... Um, looks like something that they got to put somebody's name on it on the donation and then i went back and i looked and i can't remember which there was another one where it was about five thousand, but it just said caucus okay so it's really puzzling to me why the party or the chief minister would use her parents as the name for this forty five hundred dollar donation it, it, it's really puzzling me um she have of course, a personal interest in our chris i don't want to build a Eco resort out there or something? <laughs> not that I'm aware of. Uh, we'll see. But files did not respond to questions, as you would I'm imagine. to hear that, Chris. Yeah, including if she had solicited the gift from her parents or why they contributed to that particular by-election and not any other. I didn't even see their names, I got to tell you, on the uh, last general election. Yeah, they didn't even give anything to anybody in the general. But for some reason, they've come out of nowhere and they've decided now, is it because this is the first by-election while she's chief minister? And it was. Remember, and she won with a 15% swing towards labor, which was unheard of. And then she tried to celebrate and dance for that. And then, uh, you know, everybody reminded her, hey, uh, you know, a young man was just murdered there. And uh, she had to pull her head in. But uh, anyway, yeah, so her parents, I guess, got involved because she was chief. I don't know. She wouldn't answer. She also did not say how her parents felt about donating to the victory of a candidate who, who appeared to have lied to the public about his conviction for killing a woman with his car in 2009. Yeah, yeah. We'll get yeah. back into that. Now, or, we also or went, they were aware. <laughs> yeah. So we also went to Labor Secretary Carly Dalton. Carly loves hearing from me. She also refused to explain the donation or explain why Files' parents right. were involved. Other gift givers to labor, though, usually it's only one in about that that amount or that, that figures I'm talking about. But in this yeah. case, there were two other donations above the reportable threshold. Uh, that included from longtime fifth floor staffer and labor operative Carrie Gardner, gifted 2000 um, and party member Baden Sharp, who gifted uh, fifteen hundred ninety-five dollars. Now the and we, we again we don't know what that's for exactly. Meanwhile, and I think we may get more clarification on that later as well. But uh, we'll see when the, the rest of the numbers come out uh, on yep. Friday. Meanwhile, the CLP declared one gift during the by-election period, and that was a ten thousand dollar donation from a company called Dillarn Proprietary Limited. Which, you know, we did an ASIC record search shows is run by Steve Margetic. Now, he's also managing director of uh, major construction company, Sitzler. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. you were name. So he, he's given 10 grand to the CLP. The Australian Federation Party, and this is just for the RFR by election. Anyway, the Australian Federation Party, which also unsuccessfully fielded a candidate in the by election, claimed a $1,425 donation from themselves out of Victoria. 
uh, had a Victoria mm-hmm. thing on it. So it must be where their party's based. Uh, all of yeah. the candidates, as we said, uh, raised no donations themselves. Um, yeah, and we get into Brown, and again, Files has rejected those calls to eject Brown from caucus for lying to the party and the public. Yeah, continuing to refuse to comment on the specific matter with him. And I, I don't know how this guy goes mm. on with this, like, hanging over his head still. Like, they got to clear this up. We know that he's lied. But anyway, mm. the, the uh, chief minister's parents are on board, so. Yeah, that's it. And uh, the party's party's happy with it. Chris, nothing to see here. Circle of trust is intact. I got to say, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I got to say that, that, you know, because it's been brought up to me a lot, there was a line on here from Phil Adams, a reader of ours. Yeah. He uh, wrote, did mom do some laundry for Natasha? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a lot of people love that line. So I thought we'd uh, yeah, yeah. shout out to him for that one. That was pretty, yeah. that is pretty funny. Thank you, mom, for doing that if you did. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to uh, the next story. Someone else who's made headlines uh, recently for all the wrong reasons, um, and that is that, that uh, two people have ended up in hospital after an airboat crash at Matt Wright's Pop End Safari Camp. Yeah, it sounds like a, a, a bad incident there, yeah. and um, you don't want that stuff happening. And, uh, you know, like you said, it seems to have a string of unfortunate events here because, of course, yeah. he's still facing charges in court for his, uh, for I guess, issues, charges, allegations um, around uh, his actions involving the, um, the helicopter crash of Chris uh, Willow Wilson who was uh, Wright's friend. Of course, uh, he died uh, last year when a helicopter crashed, and Wright was uh, subsequently charged with attempting to pervert the course of justice, making threats to witnesses, destroying and fabricating evidence, unlawful entry to a building and dwelling, making a false declaration, and issuing threats in relation to a criminal investigation in connection to that helicopter crash. So, Anyway, so he's, you know, he's dealing with that stuff. He's got his lawyers. He's got them putting out stories where he's accusing people now, his former employees, of being on coke. And, uh, oh, yeah. uh, you know, you saw that story. I mean, I, I don't know what that's all about. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's really strange that the NT News ran that too. But anyway, that's what he wanted to say. So you'd think that the police would definitely be doing some uh, breath tests on these operators out here at the top end safari camp, his employees mm. at Bino after uh, this airboat crash that sent two tourists to hospital. It's around 11.15 a.m. Wednesday morning. So one of these airboats that's used for tourist crews crashed. Uh, now, it's understood that two women aged 43 and 54 uh, were injured in that crash, taken to hospital, one with head injuries and one with lower leg injuries. Uh, WorkSafe inspectors were at the site. Uh, they said they're currently at the incident site that was on Wednesday and have commenced an inquiry into the incident to determine the appropriate regulatory response. Sources told the independent about this crash at the camp. Um, yeah, and then the, the camp itself, Top End Safari Camp, sufficiently and later confirmed the incident happened at Sweets Lagoon on the property, about 110 kilometers southwest of Darwin and Bino. We will be working with authorities to review the incident in due course, an unnamed spokesman said. At the moment, our focus is exclusively on supporting those passengers and staff involved. It's reported that CareFlight 
uh, actually had to come in and fly the women to the hospital. So, um, pretty yeah. serious then. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And yeah, head and legs. So, uh, yeah, the, the head stuff's really scary there. And we hope that yeah. these women are okay and they recover. And of course, you know, all three men uh, who were charged with, uh, uh, right, they're all fighting the charges. We want to say that nothing's been proven there. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. They'll do that. And meanwhile, we'll see where, where WorkSafe goes with this. But yeah, pretty scary to be one on one of those airboats. I think they can go pretty pretty good clip. They sure can, yeah. And when when they say crash, I mean, I guess the evidence or the you know, the story behind what actually happened will will come out eventually. But um yeah, hitting one of those at, at full or crashing one of those, I should say, mm. at uh, full speed or close to. Um yeah, there's not much to protect yourself. So, I, uh, as you said, hope the uh, ladies recover from their injuries. Yeah, yeah. And when we find out more, we will have more. All right, let's move on to the next story. Um, the NT government are acting unlawfully, according to yeah. uh, the feds, regarding a Mandora jetty and their disability compliance. What's happened there, Chris? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess not. Not straying too far from their MO here. They're now acting unlawfully <laughs> again. Uh, oh, no. by, but, but yeah, by allowing the, the Mandori, uh, Mandora f- ferry jetty to breach national disability and accessibility regulations. Now, the Federal Infrastructure and Transport Department has come out to say that. Uh, but the department says it cannot confirm how many public transport services are currently not compliant with new regulations introduced after a 20-year lead time, right? So they knew that these regulations were coming in for 20 years. Everybody has here. So, and and, and they still haven't taken any action. So, so the uh, Darwin Community Legal Service said the jetty, along with several remote NT airports, are not compliant with the legislation that came into effect back on January 1 and currently prevent people who have mobility issues traveling to get health treatment. Now, this is particularly bad out there where you've got, uh, uh, what was it they were saying? They facilitated a meeting in Wagate Beach to discuss the implications for the government because the Mandora Ferry was non-compliant due to its stairs, with concerns raised about the impact of residents on that end of the peninsula, including the Belluan Belluan community. Sorry, Belluan community. This includes people with mobility issues, including seniors not being able to take the ferry and spending their money instead on taxis for the 240-kilometer. Darwin round trip, rather rather than on house cleaning, laundry, or personal care, which was resulting in carers' burnout. Um, No supermarket delivers food out to Wagate Beach community, and there was no medical center to cater for the medical needs of its residents either, so they had to leave. Also said the only airports that have a disability passenger lift were Alice Springs, Nulamboy, Elko Island, Groot Island, and Darwin Airport. So anyway, uh, yeah, the, the Darwin community legal service lawyer Ramnik Walia said that access to services such as public transport are a basic human right. We've seen people with disability or mobility issues not getting the opportunity to travel with dignity, meaning they're left feeling helpless and humiliated. Improved accessibility is essential. We're calling on governments and decision makers. More needs to be done to address the accessibility issues in remote communities. NDIS plans are about choice and control. 
people living in remote areas are not able to exercise their choice and control when it comes to therapies, respite, and treatments because there is no reasonable access to them, meaning sometimes they're limited only to what is available in their area or more often nothing at all. Yeah, and um, yeah, you got to think that's that's really bad, a bad position for these people to be in and what it's mm-hmm. costing them to go around. Now, Walia, the lawyer, said that on January 25th, uh, the community legal service met with infrastructure commissioner Louise McCormack, who's now the um, taking over for Kirkman. She's now the CEO um, yeah. of Dipple uh, and Caleb Johnston, who works uh, as some sort of advisor for Lawler, the minister, uh, to discuss three options that they wanted to see here uh, with regards to the jetty. Uh, a once a week subject to review wheelchair friendly bus service to Darwin for those residents, uh, an independent local bus contractor to run a service, uh, stopping at Barry Springs, Humpty Doo, Kualalinga from Wagate Beach, and a revision of the patient assistance travel scheme to include areas of Bay Lewin and Wagate Beach. He said the government had not yet agreed to any alternative transport. So, yeah, there you go. They've, uh, they're basically ignoring these people. They haven't lived <laughs> up to their end of the, of the yeah. bargain here. And this is the legislation. Now, the, the, you know, they've been warned even by the federal government that you're exposing yourself to lawsuits, uh, complaints with the Human Rights Commission and a potential to be brought before the federal court of Australia, the federal circuit and family court of Australia for not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, for breaching this uh, this um, national disability and accessibility regulations, and the fact that they knew about it for so long—it's just yeah. typical anti-government. Kick it down the road a bit more. We got twenty years. They've only had twenty years, Chris. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, they've still got a um, football stadium that needs certification as well. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Well, that's I what mean, somebody said. Somebody said, "Well, what's she going to do? She'll just go and exempt it." Exactly. Just do a gazette. Yeah. Give it an annex. Yeah, yeah, gazette. Yeah, I mean, I make I make light of it. It's actually not funny, but um, it's just one of those things that you you expect that there probably will be very little change or or um, ramifications for doing it or not doing it. Yeah, because look, and she just ignored us again. Um, about why any questions about why the government was not complying with its obligation, what she was going to do about it. Now, the problem here is the minister previously put out a tender for the design and construction of the Mandora jetty. It closed mid last year, but was not awarded to anyone. Lawler blamed cost challenges as a result of uncertain market conditions, but said she still expected the new jetty to be finished by the end of 2024. The uh, tender was closed just on April 12th. Uh, which current budget papers showing $46.6 million has been allocated for that. A government press release of back from back in February 2019 said the then estimated $50 million project was a priority to be fast-tracked for construction. Um, but this was it. And even with all of this stuff, it seemed that there was no framework for meeting those obligations yeah. that they have for disability stuff. So... Um, yeah, so look, the federal government's actually saying, like, you know, you got to get your act together here. It's unlawful to contravene the disability standards, such as the transport standards. Um, yeah, depending on the outcome of the complaint, could go to courts. Uh, yeah, um, did not 
answer a question of the department federally about what action will be taken against the anti-government or other public transport operators who are not compliant or how long they had to become compliant. I guess mm. the government will figure that one out when they, <laughs> when they, get, when they get hit with yeah. something. Yeah, oh, yeah. Anyway, because just, yeah, just do your jobs here, guys. Like this, Somebody in Dipple should be all over this and not have it become an issue. It also probably suggests that there haven't actually been any formal complaints thus far. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I didn't do the story, but I know that the, the Woody had talked to some people out there who were not yeah. happy, and I believe that they have, in fact, filed complaints. But I'll, okay. I'll check with Woody about that. Yeah. Because yeah. you'd think if they're in breach of national laws and there were formal complaints in the system, then they'd literally be forced to come yeah. up with a solution. Well, um, and they had the meeting with the lawyer. Who's <laughs> saying, here's what we want you guys to do for these residents. I mean, clearly there's a number of residents there that are directly affected. Yeah. And so you would think at that meeting that they'd come away and say, okay, but this is now, what, six months ago, five months ago. And yeah, nothing, yeah. and they just, nah, we'll get back to you whenever. Yeah, well, all good. Well, if, yeah. as long as you don't uh, take their calls and acknowledge them, then the problem doesn't exist, Chris. <laughs> well, that's what they're trying to do, but it's, <laughs> it always seems to come back on them. <laughs> All right, well, Chris, just hold for a second. And now, it's time for the job files, thanks to no one in particular. The most eagerly anticipated segment of the week is coming <laughs> on now. And uh, I've got to say, I'm very impressed because uh, I, I received two uh, messages in my uh, DMs this afternoon mm. uh, regarding the same job which I thought was quite interesting. This week's job files job of the week yeah. is a director of infrastructure is required at the Howard Springs accommodation facility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't make this stuff up. Um, somebody was looking at that today too and said they brought it up with me and said, um, did, that, did they always have this position? And I can answer this, no. <laughs> this is a new position. They've created a new job for public yeah. servant. And what is it, like 180000 It's so, good money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, one of the first stories that we did at the NT, one of the first FOIs as we were getting the site all together and everything was we knew that that facility was not being used and that the government yeah. had known for years that Impex was going to be done with it. They were going to gift it to the government and the government had to find something to do about it with it. And they couldn't, they just couldn't. And it was costing us like ridiculous amount of money. It was over a million bucks for like three quarters of the year. And yeah. I think we did the story and Jerry Wood said it was a million dollar dunny out there. It was two security <laughs> guards using the toilet and we're paying a million yeah. bucks. Like, yeah, I think yeah. it was like closer to 2 million for the, for an entire year. So yeah. So the government had no idea what to do. And then all of a sudden COVID came along. And so yep. that facility then gets renamed to some Orwellian thing that shall never be repeated <laughs> on here. And, um, and it becomes the gold standard, the gold standard. And they start saying how great yeah. this is. Um, and then uh, we see what happens and the government's lies and files lies about the damage. They then bring the flood victims in, as we know, earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, and what was the, the last story on that was Lawler had undermined. Um, she came out and got in on the party, right? So she took Channel 9 through there, apparently, I think, last week, Friday or Monday, and um, yeah. showed them and the, the board up windows 
and it was 670 windows. Yeah. They finally admitted 670 windows. I think yeah. Lawler said something though, like, well, Files sent me out here and she knew about <laughs> it when I told her about it. Yeah, yeah. And Files was apparently supposed to be there at the press conference and Chen and I said, oh, we want the chief minister there too. And then they yeah. shot back to Files and, or to Lawler and it was just crickets and, and <laughs> Lawler looked confused and disoriented. Yeah. Anyway, it's massive damage out there. They've lied about this and now they're bringing in, now they've had to create a full time ongoing position yeah I, that, that's just crazy that is just crazy it is well the um interestingly it's part of the department of infrastructure planning and logistics yeah, was... and uh the, this is the maintenance section so um anyway you need to in this role provide a high level of advice high level of advice to executive management Government and agencies on the management of the Howard Springs Accommodation Facility infrastructure. Yeah, look at that. Uh, they renamed it themselves. That's exactly they what I idiots. thought. Jeez. Represent the agency and oversee the management and coordination of repairs and maintenance, <laughs> in brackets, wear and tear, uh, <laughs> capital works, and the daily operation of the facility. Uh, I went. For who though? Like who? Who? Like that's what I don't understand. In the daily operation, like I'm telling you, I went yeah. through this. We did an FOI. We got the documents. They had somebody mow the lawn once in a while. They had a yep. security guard out there making sure nobody got into it. That was it. Or two security guards. Like it was. Yeah. You don't need it. It's not a hotel, unless yeah. it's going to be a hotel. But they couldn't figure out what to do with it. Now we know that they're talking to the fence about yes. using it for something there. Um. Whether or not that goes ahead, I I don't know. They're still saying. I think the last we heard was they were still in negotiations, yeah, with the Commonwealth for potential use for that for defense. Um, so yeah, I I don't know though. Like one, I guess the damage has got to be so bad that uh, this is going to be a full time job for a while to kind of. It yeah. sounds like it. Put all of yeah, that. It's like together. a coordination role, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah, to say that and then in daily operation of the facility, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess you got to open it for the contractors to come in. It sounds like it's going <laughs> to be months and months before. Like, the, and we need a total on that. They're right about that. Like, this is well, Chris, more it's an ongoing permanent job. So, yeah, yeah. so it, there's no end in sight. <laughs> it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't make sense. No. Anyway, they never do. They, they never do. The great irony of this place, of course, is when it was first built, the uh, workers used to stay there and do their fly-in, fly-out. Then uh, they was closed and empty, as you said. They had security guards there trying to stop people getting in. Then COVID hit. They used it for quarantine. Then they paid security guards to stop them getting out. And now they're going to pay people to stop them getting in again. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And some guy in a in a suit uh, yeah. overseeing the daily operation of the facility, yeah. like like a hotel type guy. That's I don't know. It. If you're interested in the role, give Anthony Woodcock a call on eight nine four six five double one four, and you can discuss the many ongoing elements of the role with him at length. I imagine. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna yeah, it's gonna take a while. What are we uh, expecting to hear about next week, Chris? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, look, we've got the second week of sittings of parliament, so we'll be back in. Um, mm. 
yeah, I expect that there'll be some more uh, craziness going on there. And um, yeah, we've still got a bunch of other stuff that we got to get out here. Um, and like I said, getting back to this, the inquest and um, and uh, what's happened with the role thing, I think we're going to all start seeing some new information here. And But by the time this airs, I guess hopefully some of that will be up. But I think it'll roll into next week as well by the time we sift through everything here. Yep. And um, like I said, just yeah and we we got to get answers and people need to be held accountable for their actions absolutely all right we'll catch you next week chris great thanks pete we'll see you next week that was chris walsh from the mt independent online newspaper weekends with walshy back again next week on the territory story podcast weekend edition we'll catch you then You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favourite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.